This season of The 80 is kindly brought to you in association with artisan food producers Moorish. Moorish uses only the best ingredients to create their deliciously different dips. Using traditional methods and adding a unique smoked twist, their products are indeed incredibly Moorish. From the original smoky hummus to zingy lemon and dill smoked hummus, Moorish's creations will delight your taste buds. Our personal favourite in the About Time office is the new Moorish pea hummus, which is exclusive to Sainsbury's. With a delicious pea flavour and 15 grams of protein per pot, it's our ideal indulgent afternoon snack. If you're in the mood for something with a kick, their smoked hummus with chilli harissa is fiery and delicious. Or try their garlic and Sicilian lemon aioli, which is gloriously creamy with a zing of fresh lemon. Available in all good supermarkets, including Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and Booth's, why not stock up on some Moorish today? Thank you to our sponsors, Moorish. Looking at the best things to do in London and beyond? From food to fitness, bars to going out, this is the AT, the About Time Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the AT. This week we are talking about, well we're talking about two things really. Firstly, we're covering all the fine dining news in London. Very timely because of, obviously, the Michelin star list came out. So we're looking at fine dining, Michelin stars, white tablecloths. Linen napkins. <laughs> Linen napkins. All that jazz. But then, because this, this is about time podcast and we like to give you a bit of balance, we're also going to chat about some of our favourite budget eats. So the kind of other end of the scale from Michelin Supermarket meal deals. <laughs> You're talking about supermarket meal. There's I a, love good, them. A, a good meal deal, a nice greasy spoon, a hangover cafe, just the kind of place in London that we love, even though they're not fancy and um, very gastronomic, maybe. Nicely phrased there, Joe. Thank you. I was I trying to be diplomatic. That. Yeah, we love a greasy spoon. So, starting with the fancy stuff, what's happening in the Michelin star world? So, I mean, quite a lot, actually. Um, a lot of new entries this year and a lot of new entries that have only opened this year. Um, so they haven't been around for long and it's really exciting. So um, Sabor on Hedden Street um, is from Chef Neve and her business partner, Jose. Now they um, met at London's acclaimed Barafina. Uh, if you don't know Barafina, get on it. It's um it's on, on Soho on Dean Street and it's amazing tapas. But anyway, this is her first solo venture, um and it's amazing. So they they got a mission star in their first year. Yes, so it opened in February. Is it one star? Yes, that's impressive. Yes, so it's kind of if you imagine it's kind of um there's a lot of sections to the restaurant, so you can do like counter seating. There's the bar. Um, and then there's a the restaurant and they do amazing tapas dishes like prawn croquettas, chorizo, tortilla. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did actually. Thank you. Quite proud of that. You know, my pronunciation is not that great. Um, so yeah, so that's really exciting. If you haven't gone, um, do go. Not because it's been awarded Michelin star, because the food is really bloody amazing. Fab. The other one that seems to be getting so much attention this year is Brat in Hackney, which, um, is a Basque 
barbecue restaurant and it's in like a former strip club it's in Shoreditch even like Mission Star Dining in Shoreditch kind of blows my mind because that was not something that a few years ago was associated with Shoreditch at all um, so the chef from there previously worked at Kitty Fishes and this is his first solo venture um, so it's like Cornish fish and lots of slow cooked food rainbow trout quite a fishy menu but a real focus on barbecue and smoking yeah that's amazing and also even though fish is a focus, they do some kind of weird and wonderful veggie dishes as well that you should also check out if you don't like fish. Yeah, Brighton Hackney. Yes. And then lastly, um, this is really exciting. So Core in Notting Hill by Claire Smith. This is, again, is her first solo venture and she was awarded two stars. Wow. Um, and she's been um, chef patron at restaurant Gordon Ramsay on Hospital Road. You know, she's got 10 out of 10 in the Good Food Guide, five AA rosettes. I mean, it's it's great. It's great, you know, and it is at the higher end of, this, of, this, of the fine dining Something scale. Something for a special say. occasion. Yeah. Um, also but, just enjoying that it's female owned, you know, I'm into that. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a, it's a big emphasis on kind of natural, sustainable food, kind of source from the UK's most dedicated farmers and food producers. Fab. When it comes to Mission Star Dining in London, where are some places that you've been to that you love? Okay. So, you know, when you kind of go to restaurants in London and then you kind of don't realise that they're Michelin star? Mm. Do you know what I, I know that sounds really odd. See, I didn't realise until quite recently that Hakkasan um, has Michelin stars. Yeah. And I love Hakkasan. Because you know what? For a restaurant, it's not, for a Michelin star restaurant, it's not particularly like fancy fine dining. It's not like one of those big silver cloches that they left yeah. up. And it, it is a bit more relaxed. Yes. And... Also, I just really like dim sum. I mean, they do more than dim sum, obviously, but their dim sum's great. And Top notch. the prawn toast, for me, I don't really even like prawns that much, but there's something about this prawn toast. You know when you go to um, a Chinese takeaway and the prawn toast is just honestly feels like some sort of like... Limp. Limp, kind of sad, greasy excuse for prawn toast. This prawn toast is just... It's it, it's it's like this this shape. I mean, you can't see what the, the movement I'm doing yeah, in my hand. It's like a mountain with a prawn inside it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. um, and a it's delicious. Prawny mountain. Yes, and they do amazing char siu buns and the pork and prawn uh, sumai, which I would also recommend. Obviously, whenever time you go, it's going to be amazing. But someday they do a dim sum brunch, mm. and I would recommend. Really? Yeah. What, what, what does a dim sum brunch involve? A lot of dim sum, a lot of courses, and some champagne thrown in there. Sounds fun. Yeah, it's really nice. Really, really nice. I think the good thing about... I just love dim sum because it's sharing. It's fu- it's a fun way to eat. Mm. There's a there's something about dim sum that is quite sociable and like just enjoyable as, as a form of eating. I, I really like it. Where have you been? So, um, well, you kind of stole my dim sum thunder because I was going to talk about Iracha, which is part of the Hakkasan group. Um, just a quick, I love Iracha. They have a wild mushroom dumpling that is just amazing. And they have this Wagyu beef puff, which is so delicious. And I'm not someone that eats meat and even that, like, I'm all over it. You do love a puff. Yeah, I do love a puff. But uh, one of the Michelin star restaurants that I love in London is La Canda Locatelli. Um, it's Italian. It's one Michelin star. It's in uh, central London, just near Oxford Street. 
It is very fancy and it is very fine dining. It's not somewhere you go perhaps for like an eclectic atmosphere. I think it's quite, when I went, I went for lunch, it's got quite like a business lunch feel about it. Like, is it quite suity? It's a little bit suity. Like, you're taking your colleague from out of town who's visiting from America and you want to go for like a fancy lunch you take them to the Candelocatelli um, I also think it's a good place to like take your parents so it's something a bit rarefied but the food is absolutely delicious I had a very nice burrata with hazelnuts and thyme and then their pasta is handmade it's so delicious like really really special um, they do some great pasta parcels filled with pumpkin and sage and this amazing gnocchi with mushroom just so good. So La Candelocatelli for me is like one of the best places I've been to. Um, another place that I love, and you may think that Indian and Michelin star is not necessarily something that goes together. I've often found that like your local curry house and the cheaper the better can be really good and you don't necessarily need Indian to be fancy. And I'm not always sure that the cuisine suits a kind of fancy um, experience. However, I went to Benares a bit like you where I didn't know it was Michelin starred. And Benares, which is in central London, just near Green Park. And it's a very fine, refined version of Indian food. And it's absolutely amazing. I also feel like it's the kind of place you take on who thinks that they don't like Indian food. And you, it really shows you that there's such a wide variety in the textures and the experimentation that they do in Benares is amazing. So I had a, uh, a mata tiki, which is like a green pea curry and it was with cauliflower puree and spice puff lotus seeds so delicious and a very um, unusual but delicious pan fried halibut dish with some edamame puree they love a puree at Benares like a puree and like they play with texture a lot and I really enjoyed it and had some great cocktails that were kind of Indian inspired with spice in them so those are some of my favorite places for fancy food but I'm not that much of a fancy person I don't, Me neither. I, I don't think you are either. I think. I mean, fa- absolutely not. <laughs> I think fancy has has its place, um, but I wouldn't always elect to go somewhere fancy for dinner. I, it's it's more of a one off for me. Yeah, I I mean I think I wouldn't be like oh let's go to you know let's go for a, a dim sum feast on a Monday night. No, it's got its place. Yeah, and I I agree. I also do think that like money comes into it, and if you know you're spending loads, it can take the enjoyment out of it I, I quite like being able to go to a restaurant where I'm like oh if I am not full I know I can order a side or I know I can order dessert and there is something that's somewhat prohibitive about very fancy restaurants which are very expensive is that I, you, you're scared you're going to come away hungry but you still paid loads I agree it's the tasting menu fear isn't it oh <laughs> give me the bread basket you know just in case so on the other side of things on the kind of uh, the more budget street eat side what are some of the like less fancy places in London that you love I really like um, Alpino mm. it's a short walk from my house it's on Chapel Market it's sort of an Italian snack bar merged greasy spoon type thing it's very basic in it's decor Um but you can pick up any, uh, a fry up and a coffee or a tea for a fiver. Amazing. It's so good. I love it there. Okay. You know, yeah, it's really nice. Nice vibe. It's always, it's on Chapel Market. So it's, it's, you know, it's always got a steady stream of customers going through the door. But I don't think you can fault it. They do bowls of porridge for like two quid. They do egg 
egg baps for a quid fifty. Amazing. Is it? Would it, is that if you have a hangover? Is that where you'd go? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I'm, I want to. I want to get to a level where they know me by my first name, and they're like, "Oh, Alicia, yeah, give you a usual." You know. <laughs> you know, you've made it. Yeah, I think that's for me. That would be sort of a life goal. But yeah, if you're in sort of Islington Way, North London. I would recommend it. It's just good, hearty, you know, the egg, the yolk, it's, it's not, you know, it's not overdone. And I think that really shows, you know, the quality that we're dealing with. It's funny enough, my first pick for like budget places is there's a cafe at the bottom of my boyfriend's, um, road called Zara Cafe. And when I say like when we go there for breakfast or lunch or something, it's just us and loads of builders. That's literally what it's like. It's a builder's cafe. Yeah, it's a good builder's cafe. It's very much like milking his tea and three sugars kind of place. It's outrageously cheap, but like, I don't know how they're like keeping afloat. It's so cheap. So like a tuna baguette for lunch, but it's like a big tuna baguette, like a full size one is £2.90. Or like, if you're going really fancy and pushing the boat out at Zara Cafe, you can get a mozzarella and tomato and basil panini for three quid. Oof, oof, splashing out. And my boyfriend goes there during the week, him and a whole load of builders, and he gets a sea rest fillet, rice and vegetables for seven quid. Giving it away. It's also quite weird. I'm like, I'm like, I don't think any of the builders are ordering the sea bass. No, that's quite weird to go from baguettes and paninis <laughs> to sea bass. They've really diversified what they're offering. They really have. But anyway, so if you're in, it's on Fairfax Road and like it's just off the Finchley Road. So if you happen to find yourself in North London and need some a super cheap hookup, with we're, my so friends, north, we're, we're, we're so we're, North London. We're so North London. I can't give you anything South London, unfortunately. Another one actually that I really like near Euston Station. Euston Station, kind of around there, is just quite odd. It's a bit of a no man's land. Oh, isn't it's it? awful. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's but Roti King. What's Roti King? Is um, a no frills Chinese and Malaysian restaurant in a nutshell. It's kind of in a basement, um, and you go there. There's always, if you time it right, you can get in there before the queues. But nighttime is, you know, queue queue central, mm. um, and they do hand spun fresh rotis, and you can get it with um, loads of fillings in your roti. And loads of curries. So if you get two pieces of roti and then a chicken curry, lamb curry or curry fish for like £6.50. It sounds absolutely vile. Like it sounds truly vile. It sounds like the kind of... Mate, it's just a roti and curry. How can that be vile? So, I don't know. I'm, I have a thing about cheap meat. Like, uh, they should, should, they, should it be six quid for a curry? And a roti. And a roti. I mean, this is just... I hope you don't get no, honestly, don't judge a book by its pricing. Can I say that? Don't judge a book by its pricing? Um, I think it's don't judge a restaurant by its pricing. Okay, let's go with that. But yeah, Rosie King in Houston, I would recommend. I can see in our show notes that you put Love a Tesco's meal deal. I do, actually. I always ask people when I first meet them, what would be, if you could only eat one meal deal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Because I think it really can show, you know, your character. Is that your, like, Tinder, first take Tinder day Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, think, I think mine would be a Boots meal deal. Quite a lot of variety in the Boots Actually, Meal Deal. Actually, I always get a Boots Meal Deal when I'm at the airport. Because you get a good snack. Yeah. It's oh, serene. The, the you get serene. Slices. What is serene? I love it. Oh, that protein, that squidgy gooiness. What's your go-to with the Tesco Meal Deal? Okay, so Tesco Meal Deal, I like the chicken Caesar wrap. However, the ratio of mayo to chicken can be quite off. Like one wrap can be almost bursting with mayo and then the other wrap is quite dry <laughs> so it is a sort of yeah, Russian roulette yeah you always have to look inside the packets love a monster munch pickled onion 
crisp because also you can put them on the end of your finger and it's quite fun it's quite an interactive way of eating <laughs> and um, if I'm feeling hungover water yeah I do like a flavour of water if I'm feeling hungover kind of coke mm-hmm. if I'm trying to be like oh I'm virtuous diet coke lovely <laughs> it makes no, the difference no it? yeah that's my that's my top tip and I also love those five donuts for a quid so like basically if you've got a hangover what what's your go-to five five donuts um I actually well I actually had a hangover yesterday um and I had a Turkish delivery and I got a large chicken sheesh so to get this I had a large chicken sheesh with enough rice to probably feed the whole of Caledonian Rose <laughs> um bread dips came with salad I actually went to Sainsbury's to buy the hummus I know cheapskate <laughs> and it was £10.15 wow it was so I couldn't actually finish like the amount of rice it was almost like too much what is a chicken sheesh just like fried spiced? chicken sheesh is like cubes of chicken lovely yeah really nice so one of the places um, on my list of places that I really like for cheap eats it's called Rasa it's um, there's a couple of them around London there's one in Stoke Newington but the one I've been to is in the West End um, and they do this like like tarly takeaway which is where you get a couple of different curries and a rice and like a little bit of salad and it's super cheap um and so delicious like very heavy on the spice like i can handle my spice it's okay but if you're perhaps tell them if you're not so into your spice but they do the most amazing paneer curry with spinach it's like less than a fiver for a curry and they do a great coconut rice so look out for rasa it's so good It's also sometimes just what you need. You know when like workday lunches Comfort. Are just, yeah, when workday lunches are just super boring and you're just done with making like sandwiches, you need a rasa in your life. I have had actually the same lunch for about <laughs> three years. <laughs> chicken salad. Yeah, it's just chicken salad. Is there anywhere else on the cheap eats that you like? Um I mean Domino's, but it's not that cheap. That's just filthy, isn't it? Mm. I like the dip though at Domino's. Oh my god. That's gosh. basically why I get it. I don't really like the pizza, I just like the garlic and herb dip. Yeah, the gar- I get the big pots now. Dude. It's so good. My final shout out actually is in Clarkwell. It's called JNA Cafe. You've been there, haven't you? Love JNA Cafe. It's like an Irish cafe. It's tucked in this little side street. It's really cute and quiet and Irish inspired food. And they do some just amazing breakfast. They do a smoked salmon with scrambled eggs and it comes with um, Irish soda bread. And a really nice porridge. I recommend it. Yes, their soda bread is like divine. So good. So and good. I love it because it's served and they must have put about a tub of butter on it. Mm. I mean, it's just delicious. Yeah, it's perfect. And it's cheap. I love how more <laughs> excited about cheap restaurants we are than expensive yeah, ones. Just I like, think it kind of shows. I can, I can appreciate Mission Star Restaurant. But at the end of the day, you're just a bloody Domino's and a Tesco's meal. The other I mean, Absolutely. Um, who have we got next? So coming up now on the show, we are joined by some Michelin star chefs to tell us all about their restaurants and their views on the London food scene. We're joined by Tom, who's the head chef at Alan Williams at the Westbury, and Phil, who is the founder um, and head chef at Elston Street, who also has a Michelin star. So stay with us. This is the AT, the About Time podcast. So for this week's episode, we're joined by some fantastic guests. Thank you so much for joining us. So, um, Phil, you are the founder of Elston Street. Can you tell us a little bit about the restaurant? Uh, Elston Street is sort of born off the back of a 25-year stretch uh, cooking at another restaurant called The Square. Um, and I've really got to a point in life where I just felt it was time for a change. You know, you, you change enormously in 25 years as a, as, a, as a person, as a human being, as a chef. And it was just London had moved on. And so Ellison Street was really conceived to try and bring um, great cooking um, uh, back relevant 
from from my point of view, is to try and create a restaurant that where first and foremost it's all about hospitality, um, uh, a certain amount of, of of comfort with food that is uh, sort of quietly ambitious um, but relevant uh, for 2018, 2019. And was it always a dream of yours to have your own restaurant? Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've come off the back of you know, I've, I've kind of always had my own restaurants, but it was um, it's been a really um, rewarding thing to do to open a restaurant that is um, conceived absolute you know, on the back of a lot of experience um, and with no chefy agendas you know when you start off as a as a as a as a young chef you want to show the world what you can cook and actually um, fulfillment now is from having people really appreciate what we do so mm. it's um, cooking with a degree of kind of maturity looking at it very much from the customer's point of view um, and uh, um, there are strengths in both in both camps um, but certainly there are strengths in, in the experience camp mm. how important do you think are Michelin stars to restaurants obviously when you were at the square you had a Michelin star there for 17 mm. years did it make a difference having a star does it put pressure on a restaurant listen stars are as long as they're a genuine you know, I, I think uh they can be an asset, uh, not necessarily. Um, they, they, they do, uh, they are the catalyst for, uh, judgment. Uh, they, pe- people have preconceived ideas about what a mission style restaurant is going to be. Um, I think any award, any accolade, uh, if it's born off the back of just good old fashioned hard work and a great product, then, then, then it only endorses something that you're doing well. Mm. Um, there are certainly, uh, operators out there in the past who have tried to achieve certain things, Michelin stars, um, at the expense of actually delivering an honest product, and then 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 it's not an asset. Do you think our relationship with fine dining has changed, like in terms of what people want? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's going back to what I said at the beginning. You know, Ellison Street is um, is yeah, is it fine dining? Well. I suppose probably in some way, shape or form, it still goes into that box because it's not particularly cheap. It's still um, uh, uh, a lot of real quality produce um, in a certain kind of surrounding, um, but, it, but it's a million miles from, from the square. There's no two ways about it. When I started cooking, if you wanted to eat a truly exceptional meal, you had no option but to go to a big, fancy French restaurant, probably with lots of mission stars and, and eat. And it was magnificent. It was what it was. Um, that has changed radically. Mm. If you want to have a truly outstanding meal, you don't need to go anywhere like that anymore. You can go to some funky little place that's opened up. You know, things have changed so much. You don't need to have, you don't need to have fancy premises with big, with big frontage on a, on a busy street because actually people don't get from A to B by knowing where they're going. They get from A to B on their phone now. So mm. you can be in some groovy little backwater somewhere. Um, which has enabled a whole new generation of young chefs to to shine without needing the finance that that, that, that mm. they once needed. So the whole thing is much more colourful. It has changed. You know, I mean, it's a big can of worms you've opened, but but yes, it has changed enormously. Mm. And also benefit. in areas like it used to be that just the fancy restaurants were in just certain postcodes, and now yeah. if we look at the Mission Style list this year, they're they're in Shoreditch, they're in East London, yeah. where they didn't used to be that kind of fine dining. Well, Mission has always been slightly burdened with. This, 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 this sort of perspective that the public has felt that Michelin-starred restaurants are big, fancy restaurants with tablecloths and layers of tablecloths and multiple glasses and cutlery stacked up, and um, that goes back to what I was just saying. The reality was that Michelin stars tended 
to be given historically to restaurants like that, only because they were the only restaurants cooking to that standard. Mm. Now, if you actually look at what three stars stands for, two stars and one stars, they're pretty understated statements. They're very, I can't quite remember, but I mean, it's everything from worth a detour for a three-star restaurant. You know, that's a lifelong ambition for lots of chefs. You know, yeah. Worth a detour to, um, I can't remember. But they're very, they're very modest statements. Mm. And, um, and all Michelin is looking for is quality and consistency. Those are the two things. Mm. So if you cook great food consistently, consistently, it doesn't matter where you are, you, get, you will get the accolade. Do you have any idea when the Michelin star people are coming in? Uh, no, I mean, that's one of the things that's kept Michelin uh, where it is in, 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 in the industry, which is... You know, it's a great guide. It is, it is the greatest guide. But what, all that actually matters about any of those guides is that they are, that they are accurate and relevant for the time. Mm. Um, and, and what Michelin has, has managed to do successfully is keep its, uh, keep its inspectors anonymous. Mm. And that's valuable. That's important. And with Elson Street, how do you want people to come away feeling having dined there? What are you aiming for? All I want people to do is to leave us thinking, they had a great time. That's all because that's what brings them back. You can sit and ooh and ah about the food. Yes, you know I, I appreciate the food is an important part of the equation, but it's probably about a third. Um, really? It is. You know, maybe a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. But it is. You know, food can blow you away, but it's not going to bring you. It's if, mm. it, alone. It will not bring you back to a restaurant. If you go to a restaurant, and have a great time because the place was great, the clientele were great, the staff were great, and it came together. And that you know, it's 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 intangible that ethereal way where it just you walk out having had a great time even mm. if the food's not great you'll go back because yeah, that's what true. matters in life it's true if I think of my favourite places they're always a combination of great service and a nice atmosphere and great food yeah. and great food is not enough just to go back somewhere there are lots of restaurants out there where the cooking is not the be all and end all but actually they're very successful businesses and that's because people walk out having had a great time mm. and um, of course food can be God, you know, I've spent 30 years, you know, where it is, I, you know, most waking moments thinking about food, either cooking it or eating it. And, um, and it's important, but it's, it's not as important for most people as it is somehow for me. Mm. Amazing. Well, as it's our foodie special, we're also joined by Tom, your head chef at Alan Williams at the Westbury. Thank you yeah, for joining hello. us. No problem. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your role at the restaurant and about the restaurant generally? <clears throat> uh, my role was kind of, I didn't realise Phil was going to be here, so that's a bit of a st- starstruck, but yeah. Uh, so basically... <laughs> Make it magic yeah, happen. That's Phil Bowd. I was like, yeah, but I know Phil gets along with Alan very well. So I've been head chef there for the past two years, which is amazing. So I'm 25, so I've been cooking for 10 years. Which isn't a long time compared to others, but it oh, is as well. Head chef at twenty five is very impressive at such yeah. a such a well known restaurant. Yeah, I was twenty four when I was made head chef, so yeah, it was it was a great achievement, and I got so much respect for Alan because I used to work for Alan about seven years ago when we first opened. I remember when Phil had to swear open, he used to come in and eat. <laughs> and one time I forgot to send his pre dessert, and Alan had a had a nice word with me. <laughs> but that was about seven years ago. But yeah, but Alan's a legend. He's like my dad. That's so. Nice. And I'm very grateful for what he does because he lets me run his restaurant, which is pretty amazing at such a young age. And I understand that. I'm not a big head. I'm not arrogant. We just get on with the job. So you started cooking at 15? Yeah. And like in what capacity? What were you doing at 15? Uh, I was just, uh, you know, when you're at school, you go work experience. I was just sent to a really good restaurant back in Essex called The Toll Booth. I ended up working there for five years, moved to France for a year. Then I moved to London and uh, worked at Allen's. Now I worked in other places around London. Bit of travelling. Bit of both New York, Copenhagen. Worked in Iceland for a little bit. That was really cool. You, you, then, yeah. I'm feeling a bit like uh, I feel like I've done nothing with my life. Well, I look just, 12, you've done so a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you've done a lot in a short yeah, space. There's still a lot more to do. And like for now, it's about just concentrating on the restaurant and keeping my team. 
I've got a team of 11, which is quite big for London. And I, I've only lost one person in the past two years. And he went on to work for Hand and Flowers. So that was, I let him go. <laughs> so for me, it's important to keep my team. Yeah. Like today we're sharp, but I was just in there for three hours prepping rabbits with the guy on the meat and just trying to keep that team together is the most important thing for me, which makes consistency, the great food, and also the service is amazing. Yeah. And so you were there when, when the restaurant got its first mission star? Yeah, just, just after. And how, how did that, did that make a change at the restaurant? Did you see more people coming because um, of it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 you do, I guess. Even this week when we've done kitchen tours, there's been loads of people who come in because they've been watching it online, especially now because you can watch it on Facebook, can't you? Because everyone's there watching it on Facebook. The joys, the joys of social media. Yeah, exactly. So everyone knows what's going on. Everyone knew who lost it, who kept it. So yeah, so yeah we had a really busy week, actually. We had, this was the best week we've done in money in about a year, so for some reason, which is amazing. Yeah. How did you celebrate? I went straight back to work. I know it was Monday, but I was oh. working. The sourdough doesn't make itself, so <laughs> I went straight back to work. That's like popping bottles. Or... I think I went for what? I had one beer afterwards, and then I had a curry with my girlfriend. Fell asleep, and we were back at work at six in the morning. So wild. <laughs> <laughs> There's no life. celebration. <laughs> There's no life. celebration. Um, what food can people expect uh, at the I restaurant? Think... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, since Alan's going to give me the bigger role because Alan's not there a lot at the moment, so I. I do all the menus, which is really nice. So I think my food's developed a lot in two years. I'm not, I haven't got a signature or nothing like that, but definitely you get more confident, I think, after, at the start, I was, you want to do too many things, you want to do too many purees or stuff. And now I, I ban purees and we ban powders. We don't do stuff like that, which a lot of people do. There's nothing wrong with it, but for me, it's not about, we just get a nice rabbit in, or like a dish we've got in the moment is rabbit and artichokes and that's it. So we do the rabbit in three ways. We do artichokes in three ways, but that's it. Do you know what I mean? There's no, we're not doing 120 million different flavours. Very, Edison Street does the same. It just does a nice ravioli, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Are there a lot of purees at your restaurant, Phil? Uh, no. I mean, purees are are one of those things that um, they have something to bring. I mean, my my, my cooking is pretty, pretty pretty it's pretty classical, certainly in terms of flavour. But ultimately, you know, you need a lubricant in a dish. You know, mm. without wanting to sound too techy, you do. You know, there is, you know. Things need to be moist in the mouth when you eat them. So it's either got to be a sauce or a puree or a cream or, a, you know, it's, there's got to be something there. Um, and sometimes, yeah, I do still put purees on the plate. Um, but, but more often than not, actually, in, uh, I have a dish at the moment which has got a, which has got a, a, a celeriac milk puree, which is in place of a sauce. So Ooh, it's, that sounds lovely. Do you know what I love? A Jerusalem artichoke puree. Mm. Yeah. That is a fine puree. A Jerusalem artichoke does make one of the best purees. It does. No, I like the soup, actually. It's got a huge flavour. Yeah, the truth is, taking a solid and pureeing it in the, in the right way, obviously, is... It, it is the most direct way for it to impart its flavour mm. because ultimately, you know, your tongue is covered in taste buds. And when a puree hits or a soup, um, if it's not, it's not too hot, um, when it hits your tongue, it's, it's delivering the flavour with, with maximum effect because mm. it just coats your tongue. I mean, it all sounds a bit geeky, but actually that's what makes it. If they're, if they're a wonderful texture and made well, they do deliver impact. I really want a soup now. There's nothing better than a Heinz tomato soup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the cheese toasty. Yeah. So old school. I had that yesterday afternoon, actually. Did you? I love what, it, what, chefs, what chefs actually eat. It's always yeah. so funny. You're cooking such amazing, like, fine dining, and then often just, just Heinz tomato soup for lunch. Well, it's all, you know, it's, it, 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 it is interesting, you know, but the truth is we're all, you know, my whole kind of thing has been about um, the delivery of pleasure. And we are lucky, us, us human beings who live in some parts of the world where we get up and most days have the option to think several times about what we're going to eat. 
in comparison to half the population that doesn't know if it's going to eat. You know, you might as well get some pleasure out of it mm. because it's, you know, it, it, it can be more than just function. And, um, and that's what food is for me. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, you know, a longestine with, with, with truffle or whether it's a, you know, a lobster, whether it's waggy beef or whether it's a Kit Kat or a, or a bowl of Weetabix with golden syrup. Or a that. great prep cookie. Or a great prep cookie. <laughs> it's it's pleasure. Yeah. And, um, and that's, what, that's what food needs to deliver it's nice to hear because I feel like there's so much food snobbery out there mm. you know, I like cake. bread and butter I think if you have really good butter and really nice bread it's just simple. the start of any good meal isn't it really just bread yeah. and butter I love bread and butter do you have any sort of like guilty pleasures chocolate really yeah, minstrels but you see chocolate is interesting because you so often hear somebody know. I, I, I remember a period in my life when, when the kids had started going to, started going to sort of senior school and everyone was inviting people around for dinner. So you went, you met, you met a new, you meet new, new adult friends through your kids and then start having dinner parties. You go around to people's house for dinner and, and people would bring this chocolate. And oh, I just don't, I never touch anything less than 85% or 90% or 80%. And it was like this whole phase of like, but that's not what you fucking do in the petrol station, is it? Because no. you go for the minstrels, you go for the Maltesers, we all go for the Twix, we all... You Milky know, Raisin Biscuit. We all... And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a food snobbery. That's, mm. that's very real. And that's not to say that there is, there is a time to eat where, where actually you want to eat in a, in a sophisticated kind of way. And, then, and then, then different things do come into play. But it is so important to realise that. Going back to that pleasure, it doesn't matter what it comes through. Um... We all know what it's like when you put something really special in your mouth. And it's not always, it's, it's not often something fancy, actually. It's just something great. And, mm. um, and something you just really it's love. It's quite comforting, yeah. I find, as well. Nostalgic food. Nostalgic, yeah. It's good, right? Well, it is, you know, comfort is a big part of the equation, you know, which is why classic French cookery was, was so special, because it was rich and naughty and full of butter and cream. And, and that's not to say that everything's got to be like that, but it's... it. it it has the capacity to deliver truckloads of pleasure. Mm. And, um, and in the kind of the modern conceit of kind of deconstructing and doing all this weird stuff that's gone on, that's what's been lost. The heart and soul of dishes has been lost. Um, and, but the pendulum is swinging back, I think. Mm. I do never, I don't really get deconstructed desserts. It's a horrible word. It, it's, if I'm honest, it's like I don't want a deconstructed no. cheesecake yeah. or like no, an don't. apple pie. Just no. give it to me as an apple yeah. pie. No, I better to know. But it's so true. I think that phase has kind of gone a bit, hasn't it? The deconstructed was was there. I think think it still haunts pastry. I think you know Mm -hmm. that thing where you get a line of a line of crumb, two or three quenelles of sort of some irritatingly bitter chocolate mousse, some Mm -hmm. meringues, and a little sorrel leaf. Or it's kind of a dessert. I always say a dessert has to have an element of pudding in it because actually if we all were to write down what we wanted to eat as pudding it's going to be the same thing it's going to be steamed treacle sponge it's going to be you know, apple crumble it's going to be it's going to be treacle tart classic. lemon tart all those things Sunday roast classic because they're not eating, Sunday roast you're not yeah. eating you're not, you're not eating a dessert because you're hungry or because you need it you're eating it because you want to indulge mm. and therefore that's the soul or have a fruit salad you know that's Give me a sticky stuff pudding any day. Yeah, yeah, I love sticky stuff yeah. pudding. Well, after the break, we are going to be chatting about your favourite restaurants in London. So join us then. And here's this week's news in brief. Ex 
SOYO in Shoreditch has invested significantly and have undergone a complete makeover across both floors and they're launching their new and improved venue on Friday the 12th of October for the opening of Honey's 10-week residency, the first resident to make the new look XOYO his home. Next up, this year's edition of Camden Town Brewery's free annual event, Tank Party, returns on the 13th and 14th of October at the Kentish Town HQ. The event offers the chance to buy pints of fresh, unfiltered version of Camden's fresh Hell's Lager and parallels straight from the brewery's 120 hectolitre outdoor tanks. And lastly, from the 12th to the 14th of October, Heist Bank will be cracking open the keg, turning on the taps and pouring pints for the second annual Heist Bank Beer Festival. With over 60 beers on tap, Heist Bank will be showcasing brewers from across the UK, Scandinavia and Australasia, with 80 plus beers being poured across the weekend. for Alicia's special announcement uh, to be we're going to be chatting now about where you like to eat in London and also some trends that you're seeing emerging so uh, Phil is there anywhere uh, that you love for dinner in London other than your own restaurant God where do I love for dinner you know it's a really hard question because it is so dependent on your mood but I can say I have eaten recently at and really enjoyed as always the River Cafe you know which is you know an iconic institution but it does it does something special it has the best front of house team in London. It's a great site. It buys the best ingredients. It doesn't mess around with them too much. Um, it's food that it's 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 just delicious. Um, I've eaten at Cornerstone recently. Um, a guy called chef called Tom Brown, um, who's just just spread his wings to do his own thing, and that was Hackney ex- Wick. That was exceptional mm-hmm. and Hackney Wick. Yeah, very kind of of the moment kind of place, but with with much more than just of the moment kind of cooking. Really. Really delicious. Um, oh, where else? Perilla is, uh, which is also way over that way. Um, it's like Hackney Wicks having a bit of an explosion. It's yeah. having a moment, isn't it? Well, it goes back to that thing. You know, it's it's it, it's it's almost affordable for 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 for, for young sort of slightly entrepreneurial uh, chefs and 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 anyone in the industry actually to to find a little spot. And you know, they're mostly small restaurants, but it's it's it's, it's affordable. Mm. Tom, is anywhere that you love to eat when you're not working? Where did I go last week? One of my boys who left, I took to the trumpet, who's feels old. My flatmate wears the trumpet, and it's wicked food. It's so good. It's the same again. They just get the best ingredients. I go in their kitchen all the time, see Robin there, and I'm like, what? You see all the little charcuterie they do, and I think, yeah, that's good. It's something I want to move on to, trying to make your charcuterie, doing stuff. Whereas my favourite restaurant, though, where we get all the boys go on a Sunday night is Smoke and Go. Yeah. We love smoking goat. When it, when it was in uh, Tottenham Court Road, we used, I used to go like twice a week. I thought it was amazing. But their chicken wings are definitely the best in Yeah, London. what kind of stuff do you mm. eat there? Chicken wings. Always just, chicken wings. Just chicken wings. I remember we went, about eight of us went, uh, I think we went through 24 plates of chicken wings. Wow. They ran out. Every time we put the check on, you could see the chef and he was like punching himself and going with <laughs> <in> his stick <laughs> on the phone to the butcher for the next day. But no, London's great now. I've only lived in London for seven years, but London's definitely moved forward like dramatically. I actually think it's one of the best cities in the world. And yeah. I went to New York and I wanted to move to New York and did loads of job trials and stuff and I didn't really feel it. I didn't feel it what I feel in London. I think London's really massive at the moment and it's yeah. getting better and better so it's got everything. You can go to the fine dining restaurants with the kind of fancy service and everything. 
where you've got the middle ground. You've got every single different level, haven't you? Which I think is really important. Not many places have that. Yeah, and it's also proximity in London that, that you're you're always relatively close to where you need to be. Yeah. With New York, it's so spread out, and there's so many pockets and neighbourhoods. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, what about for cocktails? Anywhere you like to go, or for drinks, or wine bars, anything of that kind? Oh, cocktails! I'm I'm I'm, I'm not a drinker, so I always you know, but I do I do hang out in a family that drinks. Um, I know cocktails are everywhere now. I mean, they're, you yeah, know, they, they are. They're, 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 which which is which is just great. Um, uh, what about for coffee? Are you a coffee drinker? Coffee, yeah, I'm a coffee drinker. Actually, I'm not a coffee. I'm not a kind of coffee guru. I'm not one of those. Um, I'll never go to one of the big, the big, uh, big chains. I go to workshop, mm. uh, which is, which does a, you know, does a, it's, you know, it's, that, that is a quality product. Mm. Um, they're great croissant as well. Right, croissant. Um, Thomas, anywhere you like for drinks in London? Anywhere really. I'm still, I'm still 25. I go anywhere for I drinks. Love <laughs> you I love the spoons. Yeah. Loves the windmill round the corner from the Westbury is my, uh, is my standard. But no, cocktails are a great places. Hyde at the moment. The, I used to work for Debu and Oscar underneath. He does great stuff. Yeah. And even at the Westbury, the Polo Bar, they do really good cocktails as well. But it is it's something really nice. If you want to go out on a Saturday night, mm. when you get to the ripe old age of fifty odd, you know you don't want to go and stand up in some mad bar where you can't hear, yeah, particularly yeah. if you're not drinking. And you go somewhere like the like the Westbury, and it's just quality environment, proper mm. cocktails. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's almost like a restaurant kind of feel, yeah, isn't yeah. it? You get your own table, and there's loads of great places actually in London. Yeah, um, as chefs, how do you guys feel about brunch? Is it a trend that you enjoy, or is it annoying? Uh, brunch, it depends. Uh, cooking it, thankfully, I've never had to do it because it's a nightmare. Um, it is the only kind of you know, anything goes at brunch. You know, you don't you you have a menu, but actually, people just don't not even interested in your menu because they want you know they want everyone kind of at breakfast brunch wants their own thing mm. do you know what I mean I, I don't I have avocados crushed with sriracha and egg well, you know it's all you're kind literally of, talking about Lizzie's dream brunch it's, it's, yeah. so, it's so kind of bespoke yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's a very millennial thing to sit down and be like, I know exactly what I want. But is it, you know, is brunch just really an overhyped breakfast? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it is, it is really. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I, I am, I'm always up early, so I've had breakfast by the time brunch comes. You know, I kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm an on-the-go breakfast breakfast guy. Um, great bit of toast and something. That's all I need. Yeah, and then I have lunch. lunch. But there's something nice on a weekend. The ritual of brunch on a weekend, I quite like. I think you know, occasionally I have a brunch. If I've been out in the country somewhere and I've gone for a massive walk or done a run or done something, been out and missed breakfast somehow, or you know, there is no two ways about it. The kind of thing that you eat at brunch is delicious as long as you're hungry enough. Um, I, I, I generally like to eat at least three meals a day. Yeah, and, uh, and brunch scuppers too that's the problem <laughs> you're right and then I'm always when I have brunch it gets to about three o'clock and I get hungry again but then yeah. you and then I'm like oh, I've got tea like you know yeah you see have to have a snack it, up, really, yeah. it can ruin your day um, Fab and are there any London trends that you're seeing emerging like in the food scene any particular like techniques that you're seeing restaurants using a lot or ingredients that people are really excited about I think one what's gone away is water buffs I think water baths were quite massive at one point, and like we do have one in the kitchen, but we don't use it. Alan hates them. I actually quite hate them as well. But what is getting a big trend? I was speaking to Sufi uh, Tools the other day, and they're on about how they've changed their market now, and they're just doing home water baths, which is not in restaurants. Can you explain what a water buff is? A bath. In layman's terms, it's just a tub of water that's consistently at the same temperature. My friend's got a sous vide machine, and you put it in that bag, and it just that's it. 
But right. CB Tools were like massive. I thought, and they're a massive mm. company. But when I went to a festival this summer, they said how they just swapped it and now they're going home. So now the so home the is the bigger market for it. No, so my, they've, they've got apps company. on their phone and you can chuck a chicken breast in and app it. You can yes. turn your app on. and She's, She was cooking her like thing in a bag. Thing in a bag. I think yeah. we've gone it too far. Whether, it depends, you know, if you want flavour, get out the bag. You know, that's the bottom line. Yes. yes. They didn't, they, 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 they have educated us in, 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 in a way, water, water baths. Um, what, you know, what, you know, they really highlighted the importance of actually what we used to do. But they have also introduced us to the concept that actually you don't need to cook things in, in with the same degree of heat that we used to. Um, but you need a little bit of both to kind of get the get the flavour going. Um, I, don't know, I think the thing for me that's that, that's 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 changed radically in the last year is is um, people's kind of dietary preferences. You know, that's mm. that's the, that's the big thing. Kind of vegan and gluten free. Yeah, yeah. Are you saying more and more of that in the restaurant? Yeah, you are. Yeah, Yeah. and that's very much of what Ellison Street's about. You know, you wouldn't read the menu and think it's some radical sort of um, uh, uh, sort of uh, collection of dishes. But but the truth is, this is not being judgmental. But if you're in a kitchen, you know, if you if you hadn't to spend, I can remember at the end of the square having to spend a disproportionate amount of my time just dealing with. Uh, changing dishes to accommodate people's dietary preferences, and mm. that's and that's that's just a headache, you know. In a really busy service, when actually you don't have a menu that's particularly accommodating as it is, lots of shellfish, meat, foie gras. You know, it was what it was. Um, lots of dairy. Um, you end up having a lot of people have issues with with or not have issues. A lot of people want to change things, and mm. that's a headache to deal mm. with it. You know, when you're super busy, it's and and it's also a responsibility, as we've seen this week all too clearly how how it goes wrong mm. when when people eat things that they they are they are seriously allergic to. Um, so I think the veganism thing is um, is here to stay is here to stay. Whether it's you know my kids are they're in in that zone, and and what I say to them is you don't need to be either or. If you don't want to eat meat, well, just don't eat it. But if every now and then you want to have a T-bone steak, well, then have it. Mm. It's not a crime. Yeah. Just eat much less. You know, eat. Um, it's fascinating that the change is there in the most part for, certainly for, for them, about, it's about the planet. It's not necessarily really about animal welfare or, mm. uh, or even their well-being, actually. It's, it's almost a bit of a fashion, though, isn't it? Yeah, in yeah. In a weird yeah, way. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's mm. I think, but I think, you know... It's a trend, yeah, fashion trend, but... It's, it, but it's difficult. It's a difficult one to commit to, particularly yeah. veganism, because it really is. You've got to put a lot of effort and energy into it for it to be to have variety and for it to be delicious. Mm. It's it repetitive. I did veganuary. Yeah. Veganuary, yeah. Yeah, for 20 days. Gels, yeah. but I mean, I like, couldn't do it for the month. And I got to day 20, and I was, I was honestly really doing quite well. And then I got the flu, and I just had to have some chicken noodle soup, yeah. which her mum Ubered yeah. to my door, yeah. and I couldn't it's not have to Uber Yeah, my mum did. We're a loyal team. We look out for each other. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us. And um, if you would like to find out more about your restaurants um, or on social media, where can they find you? They can find me at uh, Ellison Street. Is the uh, obviously the restaurant, or I am? I don't know who am I. Phil. I don't know. Phil Chef. Phil Chef. Is Phil, Phil, Chef. Phil Chef. Yeah, I'm Phil Chef. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for us, it's Alan Williams at the Westbury, and then I'm just Boot and Tom. So yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. This is the AT, the About Time podcast. So obviously now we're coming to the end of the show. It's our review slot. So Giles, where have you been eating this week? 
Oh my God, I went to such a nice restaurant. So I went to Meraki, which is a Greek restaurant on Great Titchfield Street. It's actually been open a while, but it was the first time I'd heard of it. And I went in, um, had um, had the most delicious dinner. So it's Greek, but contemporary Greek. So quite, quite fancy, quite modern, not the kind of Greek food that you're used to. Basically not your classic like tzatziki, tamar salata, hummus situation. Very modern, presentation is very beautiful. Also, the vibe I really liked about the restaurant, it's kind of got an open plan kitchen with seats at the kitchen. So if you want to sit at like the chef's table and watch them making the food, you can. So it's got a really interactive, quite like New Yorker feel about it. So the concept's quite simple. They have like cold and hot meze, and then they also have main courses. And they recommend you get a couple of each. So you might get like one main course and maybe like three of the cold and three of the hot, something like that. So obviously it ends up being a little bit of an expensive way of eating, but it's quite a special occasion restaurant and just the food was amazing. And I, I don't often think that small pates is better than just having... I'm having one main course, but actually here I really felt like it was. So we tried the hummus, which is hummus Greek style, and it had smoked eel on it and buckwheat seeds. I'm going to be honest, I got it without the eel. It freaked me out. But (laughs) I don't think you should mess around with hummus, personally. Yeah, so I got hummus with buckwheat. It was a very nice hummus. Can't fault it. Got this aubergine dip that was kind of like smoked and a bit creamy, really garlicky. It was delicious. And all these are, I mean, it was with lemon and tahina and coriander, really, really aromatic and a little bit of chili as well. So nice. And all of these are served with like fried pita for dipping. Oh, nice. Very tasty. Then had the most unbelievably delicious sea bream carpaccio. Um, so raw fish with loads of citrus and a bit of green apple. So a bit of like a sour and sweet thing going on. Also tried a very unlike me, but I was in the mood for meat. Um, and I don't normally have meat out, but I really felt like it. And I was like, felt like my body wanted it. You know, body's a temple. I listened to it. So I had this thing that was pasta, pacheri pasta, with an oxtail ragu on it. With you a do bit, love oxtail. Just anytime I see oxtail on a menu, I'm excited. Um, with a cheese and truffle. So very rich. But there was only like four pieces of pasta. So it was kind of manageable. It wasn't like you could not have had a bowl of this like cheesy oxtail thing. Yeah. But just a little place with four, four pieces was perfect. Um, and also one of the highlights for me was the Saganaki cheese, which is like a cheese and it was kind of deep fried with breadcrumbs and served with like a chili chutney. So good. Sounds. But they also do some, like the sides are really simple, but really nice. Like a Santorini cherry tomato salad with some goat cheese. Just very simple. I just, this was the kind of place where it was the quality of the food just spoke for itself. Like some of the sides were super simple, but you could tell they were using like the best quality vegetables and the freshest fish. And it just came through so much. And I honestly was trying to come up with a way to go back there. Like I need a, an anniversary or a birthday to celebrate because Meraki was just miraculous. So, so oh, I see what you did there on the expensive side yeah I mean not it's it's not cheap so like the oxtail ragu I was talking about I think that was 16 pounds so we're talking about four pounds for a piece of pasta um so it's expensive per bite but it also kind of depends on the way in which you order like I always find at small plates restaurants they tell you that that you need more than you actually do so you can order light and then just see how you go and add in a few dishes I would imagine it comes up about 35 pounds per head without drink um but they have a really nice Greek wine list so I just think save it for a special occasion it's not an everyday restaurant but there's something very special about what they're doing in the kitchen there Amazing. Where have you been eating, Al? I went to Mayfair. Of course you did. So posh these days. Um, I went to Gazelle, which is by um, Tony 
this very cocktail maverick. Mm-hmm. You know who I mean. I know who you mean. I actually can't say his last name. It's Italian. Conigliaro. Oh my gosh, you, you, you <laughs> saved me. And chef Rob Roy Cameron. So they've come together. And if you can imagine, it's over two floors. So the first floor is the restaurant and then the second floor is the bar area. It's really plush inside. I'm talking like velvet chairs, mm. a lot of like quite, you know, atmospheric lighting, you know, gold finishes, all of that jazz. So they've just launched a breakfast menu. And I'll be honest, it was very quiet when I went. And I don't know if, you know, people see it as more of a, an evening sort of place mm. because they are known for their cocktails. The breakfast menu is a little concept. I'll be honest with you, you know, if you order like poached eggs, it kind of is served in a foam. Mm. It's not. Does anybody want foam for breakfast? Um, I'm going to go with no. The adventurous time? <laughs> There's like pork cheek and pickled onions. For breakfast? Quite, quite intense Whoa. for breakfast. Yeah. What did you have? Um, so I had the yogurt, granola, and then it came served with carrot jam. Oh, God. Why? Don't jam carrots. Jam- <laughs> carrots don't want to be jammed. Was, it, was the carrot jam nice? Um, interesting. Mm, that's, interesting. That doesn't mean nice. Um, it took a lot of getting used to. Oh, that doesn't you know, mean I'm nice. Just, I'm just a very... How can I say it? I'm just quite basic when it comes to breakfast. Mm. They did have these black sesame custard buns. And I honestly bit into one. They were amazing because they tasted like a pan au chocolat. Really? Pan au chocolat. Yeah. It was incredible how they did it. I don't know. I'm kind of with you. I think with breakfast, because it's your first meal of the day... A, like, I don't think you're emotionally set up for having something very rich in concept. And also, like, you've got the whole day ahead of you. So if you're a very rich meal, it's quite hard to, like, focus and stuff. I'd much rather have a fancy dinner and go to bed. Yes, I know what you mean. Um, they did, I did get some toast. Yeah. And it came served with three different types of butter. Oh. So you could get a mushroom butter, you could get an anchovy butter, and, like, an olive oil butter. Was it, was it nice? Yeah, I do like butter, actually. <laughs> butter was really, like, the butter was a highlight. Would you go back to Gazelle? For me, no, because I'm quite, like, simple when it comes to breakfast at avocado. I know. Would you go back for dinner, maybe? Yes. I think, I like what they've, they've done here. They want to, you know, kind of bring in the early morning crowd. I do think they should stick to what they know, which is dinner and cocktails. Fab. Okay. Wow. Do you want, would people want to eat pork cheek and pickled onions for breakfast? 14 pounds. Not unless they hadn't gone to bed. 14 pounds. No, no, I'm, I'm out. I will not be investing. Um, so yeah, but that is, that is where we've been reviewing this week. Fab. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review so more people can find the show. We'll be out, a new episode out every Wednesday and we will see you next week. See you later. been listening to the AT. For more of the best things to do in London and beyond, visit abouttimemagazine.co.uk or follow us at About Time Mag. This has been a candy store production for About Time Magazine, hosted by Angelica Malin and Alicia Grimshaw and produced by Van Connor. Spirit Body by Ketzer appears under Creative Commons 3.0. Visit ketzermusic.com for more, with recording facilities in partnership with Jova London. Head to jovalondon.com for more information.